Tunisia, the nation that sparked the Arab Spring, has just appointed its first female prime minister, one of the first in the region. Unfortunately, the story is not so simple. President Kais Saeed, who appointed her, has been embroiled in controversy after suspending the constitution of the North African nation. This and other undemocratic actions have thrown into doubt the future of Tunisia's decade-old democracy. What is going on in Tunisia? And what effects could it have on the region? From the School of Diplomacy at Seton Hall University, this is The Global Current. I'm your host, Eric Bunce. With me today are two fellow Seton Hall students. Covering the situation within Tunisia is Hamza Khan. Hey, Hamza. Hey, Eric. Welcome back to the show. Thank you. And focusing on international reactions and events is David Babigan. Hey, David. Hi, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on. Okay. So let's start with this this political crisis I mentioned in my intro. Hamza, who is President Kais Saeed, and, and what's what's his story? So basically, President Kais Saeed, he was elected in 2019 in the presidential election. He was a former constitutional law professor, and he ran as an independent, and he won with 70% of the vote in the second round of the of the election. Mm-hmm. And he was so, he had the support of most of the political parties, including Ennahda, which is the biggest political party in the country, and he. He promised to tackle corruption and other issues that are affecting the country. Okay. And what, you know, was he popular at first? Like, how did his presidency evolve? Yes, so he, he was popular. He won with 70%. So, yeah, and he's still very, even today, he's still very popular, even after the crisis. People yeah. still have trust in him. And can you go into more detail on this, what, right. you, what you call so the crisis, this controversy? This basically, on July 25th of this year, there were mass protests throughout the country against the government because of their handling of the COVID crisis, which is one of the worst in Africa, in, that, mm-hmm. in Tunisia. So in response to these protests, President Kais Saeed, he dissolved parliament and sacked the prime minister, yeah. event- essentially seizing executive control all for himself. And some of the political parties, they reacted by calling this action a coup because he, under the Constitution, he doesn't have that power, but he says he does have that power under the Constitution. So this is a disputed argument right now. Well, yeah. I mean, seizing power, suspending the Constitution, you said? Yes, he suspended the Constitution later on, but yeah. He started out with dissolving parliament and sacking the prime minister and announcing that he would rule by executive decree. And then he later on suspended the constitution yeah. because he wanted to amend it. He, he claims because he wants to amend it and make a better constitution that better rec- re- reflects the people and can better serve the people of Tunisia. Because we should remember that after the Arab Spring, mm-hmm. the people of Tunisia were the only country basically to democratize. And the democracy was sold to the people of Tunisia as something that would make their lives better. Mm-hmm. But in the 10 years, it sadly, it, it hasn't been able to live up to that. So people in Tunisia are disillusioned with democracy and political infighting between the parties, especially Ennahda, which is the biggest party in the country. Okay. And you mentioned the Arab Spring. David, could you give us a little more background on what the Arab Spring is and what happened there, particularly in relation to Tunisia, but across the region? Sure. So the Arab Spring started in 2011, and it started in Tunisia, and it was a series of protests that mm-hmm. turned basically into a revolution. 
Yeah. And it is called the Arab Spring because it happened in many other Arab countries too. Yeah. It started out in Tunisia and then it spread all around the Arab world. And this led to basically the Arab countries kind of revolting against the way of government that they had and they wanted more equality and freedom. Exactly. And so this spread across, you know, North Africa uh, and the Arab world, as you mentioned. But it started in Tunisia, you said, right? Yes. And as Hamza already mentioned, Tunisia was the only democracy to result from the Arab Spring. Yes. So what happened to the other nations that had or part of the Arab Spring? There are many different things that happened. For example, Syria is still wrapped up in a civil war because of the Arab Spring, where the government there has suppressed the protests. Yeah. And other countries have had similar things, where there have been similar conflicts, but again, Tunisia's was the only one to really be successful, okay. where they established a democracy that has, that has been going on for 10 years now. For 10 years, yeah. It's a decade-old democracy, but it wasn't always a healthy democracy. Can you... Am I right in saying that? Yes. Is that fair to say? That is, that is fair to say, because it was plagued with corruption from the beginning, and many of the former people who were part of the Ben Ali regime, he was mm -hmm. the dictator that was overthrown in the revolution, okay. but many people from his regime they stayed in the government and they were still able to have influence because at the essentially Tunisia was seen as a society run by elites so the people of Tunisia when they when they revolted they thought they would actually be bringing democracy and they would mm. voice their own concerns but sadly that didn't really show up because of corruption mostly and then there mm -hmm. were other issues like terrorism and then covid came and that just really Against a really fragile system, COVID was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And this is speak, yeah. people really don't like democracy anymore. Well, not, that's not fair to say, but yeah. a lot of people were disillusioned with the kind of democracy that was implemented in Tunisia. Yeah, because yeah. as you mentioned, they were promised that democracy would help Right. in, in 2011 yeah. when the Arab Spring happened. But because of the, these problems, mainly corruption and right. terrorism, is that, I mean, what terrorism? political gridlock, yeah. What so ISIS, they ISIS had primary. many terrorist attacks in Tunisia, okay. and that crippled their tourism industry, which was a well, the backbone of their economy. Yeah, yeah, okay. And with that and COVID, it, it has led to a bit of an unhealthy uh, democracy even before this this political crisis started. Now let's get to the the, the title of our story today: Nadia Boudan Ramdan. Who I'll just call Boudan from now on uh, for ease. And where does she come in? And who is she? So, in response to protests against Kais Saeed to like a few weeks ago, because he suspended the constitution, he's been facing a lot of pressure from political parties, labor unions, mm -hmm. and protesters to appoint a government because he promised after he dissolved parliament in July 25th that he would appoint a government within 30 days, and he did not do that. Now he has done that. He appointed Najla Boudin as the pr first prime uh, woman prime minister, and. She wasn't really a political figure at all, and her po political affiliation mm. wasn't even public. And she was a high-ranking official in the Ministry of Education, and she previously worked with the World Bank. But she was a she was mo mostly known for being a geosciences professor at the at a university. Mm -hmm. So, like Kaisai, she is also a professor. Okay, and she, as you mentioned, she's the first female prime minister, one of the first officials who's female in Tunisia, as I understand it the government officials, and also, as I understand it, one of the first in the region of, of North uh, Africa. Yes in, the in the whole, uh, yes, in the whole Arab world. So, I mean, you, you mentioned her background. You mentioned part of the political reason 
possibly of why she was appointed. But what effect could she have first on, on Tunisia? Well, people, some people see this as a positive sign. They think she can tackle the issues that Tunisia is facing. But most of the power right now still resides mm-hmm. with the president because there is no constitution. Yeah. And many in the parliament think her appointment is illegal because she was not approved by parliament, which is what the constitution stipulates. So her power is not really clear what kind of power she has because there's no running constitution right now. Yes. But she'll basically do whatever Kais Saeed's agenda is. She's basically tasked with fulfilling it, and she was tasked with creating a government, and that happened over this weekend, hmm. which included 26 ministers, and almost half of them were women. And another funny thing, 11 of them were former professors. So people in Tunisia are calling this the teacher's government because the president, the prime minister, and most of the government are made up of former professors. Okay. That's, I mean, is that kind of like a, like calling it the teacher's government? Is that just a joke or is it a little yeah. bit derogatory? Yeah, or? I mean, it's kind of both, I guess. It's mostly seen as an amusing fact because they're not really politicians. <laughs> yeah which is what the people were very fed up at, the politicians That's in the true. country. So this is an interesting way to go. But at the end of the day, Kais Saeed, he's the one with the main power right and now. Yeah. And was this move, if it was politically motivated as an attempt to get more support, has he gotten any more support? I mean, has, has. has it been popular? Yes. Yes, he has. Uh, he appointed, He there was a whole video, and he said that her appointment is a homage to Tunisian women. Some see this as him trying to disguise his authoritarianism with liberalism okay. so trying to make it put a, like a fine coat over his what he's really trying to do mm. other people think that she will actually be able to tackle the issues and many people and just in most of the politicians they just want the parliament to be resumed because yes. that still hasn't happened yet okay so a mixed reception yes. to her now turning to you David as the first female prime minister what effect could could you know and a government that's you mentioned almost half woman what effect could this have for a woman in the region uh, of north africa well, and the arab world first i think that this is a great step forward for mm-hmm. the arab world to have a uh, female prime minister and i hope that other countries will see this and follow because uh, other countries in the arab world aren't super high i looked up the world gender gap report from 2021 mm-hmm. which and uh, the United States is 30th, and Tunisia is 126th, <laughs> and neighboring yeah. Algeria is 136th. So Tunisia is 10 spots higher than neighboring Algeria. Yeah, and if this is out of what every UN nation, yes, that's like, every what, UN 190, nation, 190, 190, yeah. 190. So that's that's in the bottom percentile. Mm-hmm. There. Yeah. And for women in Tunisia, abortion was legalized back in the 20th century, but it is clear that there is no that there genders there are not completely equal. Mm-hmm. So I think that this is a great step forward. And also having her as the prime minister, she's looking to reopen talks with the IMF. Uh, Tunisia was talking with the IMF and was seeking a three-year, $4 billion loan, mm. except for when this whole crisis happened in July, the talks were suspended. Okay. So President Saeed is hoping that she can reopen these talks and hopefully they can get the loan, which would definitely help out with their economic crisis. Yeah, well, yeah, cash doesn't usually hurt, so absolutely. And I think another important thing to note is that when the revolution broke out, women were actually at the forefront of the revolution in Tunisia. In 2011. In 2011, right. And 
many times during the previous dicta- dictatorial regimes, it was seen whenever um, there were new advancements in women's rights, it was seen as the repressive dictator just trying to make his himself look better to the international community. Mm-hmm. But in 2011, it was the first time where women actually were able to take rights for themselves through their own actions, and they thought they would be able to have a much better representation in the government. But that didn't exactly turn out that way because the governments that were elected were mostly run by by Islamist political groups like Enahda, which are, albeit more moderate than other Islamist parties around the region. Yeah. And then, like, in your opinion... Uh, I guess we should note that three of us are guys here talking about a woman's issue. <laughs> Classic. But <laughs> do you think that the appointment of like a, a woman, a, a government that's almost half woman, a female prime minister, do you think the effects of that will trickle down more into t- the fabric of Tunisian society and perhaps the region? It's definitely possible. I wouldn't say that it'll necessarily affect the entire region, Mm -hmm. but I think in Tunisian society, women have, it's been unique for having more rights for women than in the neighboring countries, but another Mm -hmm. thing, the main thing about this government is that it wasn't democratically elected. If it was democratically elected, that would have been a much more momentous achievement for women's rights, but this, many people just see this as Qais Saeed trying to do whatever the previous dictators did. Gotcha. Okay. And then let's turn now to more generally some of the reactions to this to this political crisis and also to the appointment of Budan. So how have Tunisia's neighbors reacted to this to this political crisis? So Tunisia's neighbor Algeria, Algerian state media reported that Saeed called his Algerian counterpart Abdelmajid Taborn. I probably botched that. And it was likely that this was to reassure Tunisia's largest neighbor will not shake up and jeopardize the country's stability. And to maintain Algeria's critical support, Saeed will need to reassure Algeria that his move will not have destabilizing effects on Tunisia or mm-hmm. the wider region. Because Algeria, they currently are also going through a crisis, partially yeah. caused by COVID, and also they have tense relations with their neighbor Morocco. And if something were to happen with Tunisia, Algeria would have issues on both sides of their borders, mm-hmm. which could destabilize the region. So Algeria is pretty wary uh, of this right now. Yes. Okay. Interesting. And then how about their reaction to to the appointment of Boudin? Is there been any strong reaction from from neighbors uh, on that issue? Well, the Egyptian ambassador to Tunisia named Ahmet Hazef says he highly values the step taken by Tunisian President Saeed and the General Secretary of the Arab League, Ahmet Abdul said that he was fully supporting the conclusions and circumstances experienced by Saeed. So in the broader Arab world, I think that everyone has had a positive reaction to the appointment of Boudin. I don't know why there would be a negative reaction, because that would just make them look terrible on like the world stage. So yeah, mostly positive reactions. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, as to be expected. I, I yes. just asked the question anyway. What about, uh, you mentioned the IMF before briefly. Yes. Uh, but what about other international organizations' reaction to the primarily the crisis and to the appointment of Boudin? So the biggest international organization, the United Nations, they called on all parties in Tunisia to exercise restraint, refrain from violence, and to ensure that the situation remains calm. However, the UN spokesperson named Farhan Haq declined to comment whether the United Nations viewed the situation as a coup or not, which mm-hmm. I find very interesting. Yeah, I mean, that is interesting. Do That's kind of the question. Uh, 
is it a coup or not? Because it is... And when you suspend the Constitution, that sounds to me like a coup, but there's, there is right. a debate on the issue. Right, well, I think you're right. It's, it's definitely a coup, but one thing to remember is he was democratically elected, mm-hmm. and he's also a former constitutional law professor, so he says that based on the Constitution, he cited one of the articles which says that they can take necessary actions to solve issues, but I'm pretty sure the framers of the of the Constitution, they he says that that gives him the power to mm-hmm. suspend parliament, which is, people see that as a bit of a stretch. Most of the political parties have all united against him. So four political parties, they announced that they would form a coalition against his coup, and they are demanding that he resume parliament. Now, Anahda, which was the the other big political actor in the country, they're having their own political crises because a hundred of their members resigned because they thought that their leadership was not standing up enough to Saeed. So Right now, were they part of that coalition too? No, they were not because they're having their own internal political, which is basically... And they're the largest party? Yeah, yeah, Yeah. which is basically how they've been governing the country for the last 10 years with their own political bickering. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. So So I I can see that. And it's also, I think it's uh, interesting that other anti-democratic countries in the region like the UAE and Saudi Arabia have praised Qais Saeed's actions. So I think it is fair to call his actions a coup at this moment. Okay, okay. But it could change if he if he does amend the constitution like he's saying, and then he steps down from power. This def- doesn't have to be like it's most similar, I guess. People compare it to Sisi in Egypt, but mm-hmm. the difference is that Sisi was not democratically elected, and Kai- and Sisi was a military general, whereas Faisal was not a part of the political establishment or the military. Mm-hmm. He's just an nor- outsider who got into politics and won, and it, he's very popular in the country. Uh, so. Well, that sounds familiar, though. We, we've seen waves of popular right, support exactly. of, of outsiders yes. gaining power yes. recently. Not all of them have <laughs> suspended right. the Constitution. Right. But it seems to be a characteristic of this government right. that there's a lot... I mean, the Prime Minister as well. There's a lot of outsiders, yes. teachers and whatnot, in, in government. Well, it's certainly a tense situation. Where do you see it going? Do you see him stepping down or do you see him maintaining power how will this and if he doesn't step down what actions will those that party coalition take could this situation get more volatile it's definitely possible we saw in 2011 how a a revolution that was successful in tunisia so that could definitely happen again if things get that bad but things were pretty bad to begin with so i feel like he'll have a chance to solve to attempt to solve the problems facing the country and if he does do the things that he's promised because he's promised that he will not hold on to power until he the problems are solved and the people of Tunisia are in a better place Mm -hmm. so it depends on what happens in the future if he does amend the constitution and then after his term is is done he steps down or there's a legitimate election and not a fraudulent one Mm -hmm. then it's fair to say that his actions weren't a coup. But if he stays in power and doesn't solve the problems, yet just keeps everything for himself and doesn't resume parliament, it will definitely be considered a coup in history. And honestly, I don't know what the political parties can do about it, but unless there's mass mobilization against him, which has not happened yet, Mm -hmm. he won't step... Because he was... I mean, he does still enjoy popular support. He does. And does he have support of the military? Yes. Then it would be tough for them likely to take... Yes. But it's also important to know that the military has not been as entrenched in politics in this country as it has in other countries in the region. Like in 
Egypt, for example. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. Has he given... Because you mentioned, like, if he steps down after he solves the problems he says he wants to solve. Has he given a clear definition of those problems, or has he been vague about it? Because, like, for me, if someone says, look, I'll step out of power after I solve these two specific issues, that's one thing. But if they just say problems, well, then there's always going to be problems. Right, right. Yeah. Well, his main issue is corruption, and he's mm-hmm. been criticized for not tackling that. Even in the short time that he's been in executive control, he hasn't, or he he did strip immunity of, from the parliamentarians from prosecution, but nothing else has happened besides that. And mm-hmm. he's that's his main issue. But the one of the biggest issues in Tunisia is the COVID crisis, and if he is able to solve that, that will definitely boost his popularity. Okay. And then returning now uh, to some of the international reactions which we got off on for a while. Um, how has the U.S., how has the United States responded to the political crisis and the appointment of the first female prime minister? So a United States uh, White House spokesperson named Jen Psaki said that the U.S. was concerned regarding the situation in Tunisia uh, at a time when authorities are seeking to stabilize their economy, confront a resurgence in the COVID-19 pandemic, and of course, the United States being the United States, said... We urge calm and support Tunisian efforts to move forward in line with democratic principles. So the United States is being the United States and, of course, wanting there to be democracy all around the world. Mm-hmm. And it, it's the reaction that you would expect from the United States. And other Western countries have yeah. had the exact same reaction. Well, has we'll staying with the US, U.S. for a second. Has I mean, does the U.S. has any influence over Tunisia? Do they have ties there or not really? This is not really something we're directly involved in. Not really. Yeah. I, I think okay. that if there were to be um, a time where military intervention is justified in Tunisia, then maybe the United States and other Western powers could jump in and create a big, a bigger problem like what happened in Syria, where it was first started uh, out as a revolution and then the groups like ISIS and that coming up. Yeah. But the, I, I don't think there's been any talk about intervention, though. No, there has been no talk because there's obviously no reason, yeah. no justification for it yet. But France has a, a lot is a lot closer with Tunisia, and France. Uh, it's a former colony, right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, in 1881, they conquered it, and it was a protectorate under France. And Tunisia got its independence from France in 1956, and to this day, they still have good relations. Uh, France is actually helping Tunisia a lot with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, they have built a maritime bridge where they're shipping over vaccines and French. Uh, medical oxygen to Tunisia. Okay. Okay. Much better Franco-Tunisian relations than, than France has with their neighbor Algeria, yes. for sure. But has um, if this situation in Tunisia broke down, it wouldn't it would almost be like a, a slow burn from the the Arab Spring. Yes. And there were other revolutions that did break down into to conflict almost right away. Right. The Arab Spring. We're talking what, Syria? Yeah, Syria. Libya, Yemen, yeah. Iraq. And there was intervention in, in Libya. Yes. So, I mean, hope, I don't think there's been any talk about that. Um, but it is important to see, like, the European U.S. reactions concern, um, but nothing, nothing pressing yet. Yes. And hopefully it does not reach the point where, you know, military intervention can be justified, because then that would just kind of yeah. ruin the whole yeah. country. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I don't think we're anywhere near military yeah. justification. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how it came up, yeah. which is yeah. very good. And you, you talked a bit about the IMF. How important is that deal for Tunisia, especially coming off of COVID? 
Well, Tunisia's economy has definitely taken a huge hit from the COVID-19 mm-hmm. pandemic, like a lot of other economies around the world have. This $4 billion loan that they're seeking from the IMF, it wouldn't make everything perfect there, but I definitely think that no. it would uh, improve the situation in Tunisia, mm-hmm. the economic crisis that they're going through. And that's why it's so crucial that they get this money and why Bowdoin is looking to reopen talks. I guess we'll go to like to, to final words now. Um, Hamza, your, your final word. Why is this issue so important for the, for the region and the world? Why should we care about this story here? Well, a few things. Tunisia was seen by the world as the only successful Arab state to democratize, and that gave hope to other people in other Arab countries who wanted to democratize their countries as well. For example, Egypt, which did democratize for a short period of time until it was overthrown. Uh-huh. But people see that if democracy didn't work in Tunisia, that might lose. they might lose hope in their countries as well. And mm-hmm. seeing that democracy didn't necessarily make their lives better, it might m- lead to a rise in autocracy in the region, which is very heavily autocratic at the moment. Mm-hmm. And that might spread to countries like Turkey, which their president, Erdogan, is very autocratic, even though they're still a democracy. Yeah. And it's unclear what's going to happen in the future of those other countries. Yeah, so... Tunisia, the only democracy to come out of the Arab Spring. A deeply flawed one, as we talked right. about. But still, if it were to, to collapse finally, it would be just another signal that... It would be another blow against democracy right. in the region. Right. Okay. The Arab Spring would have failed, at, essentially. Okay. And then, David, your last words. Why is this issue so important? Why should people care about it? Well, what's going on in Tunisia right now could potentially destabilize the whole region, mm-hmm. depending on the decisions that President Saeed makes. And hopefully... It can uh, everything remains calm, and Tunisia can sort the issue out itself without getting neighboring Algeria, Egypt, Morocco, or even um, intervention from uh, Western countries involved. So there, a, l- a lot is on the table here, depending on what Saeed does um, in the following weeks and months. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much. This is, I mean, this is a, a story. When I first started researching it, it's much more complex than I thought. Right. Uh, I mean, of course, it, it's a good thing to see the first female prime minister in a government with so many women. Uh, But there's so many things going on behind the scene uh, with the president and with the the potential coup that that has happened that it's it's a very interesting, it's a very complex issue and one that deserves a a lot more attention for sure. But that is is all we have time for in that discussion. It it has been a great one. Uh, Hamza, David, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having us. Thank you for having me. And joining me now to round out some other headlines this week is our news beefer, Kasha Kostroba. Hey, Eric. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. So what are you keeping an eye on this week? So headlines this week, Mussolini's granddaughter wins second term as Rome City Councilor. Pandora Papers reveal offshore financial system for the world's elites. And suicide bombing in northern Afghanistan kills 46. Okay, so let's start with this story. I did not expect to hear that name. Mussolini, what's going on there? Rome's municipal elections took place on October 3rd and 4th, in which Rochelle Mussolini, granddaughter of Benito Mussolini, won the highest number of votes and was re-elected into the position of city councilor. Rochelle is a member of the Brothers of Italy party, a small but growing far-right group. She is not the only relative of the former dictators to run a successful political campaign. Alessandra Mussolini, another granddaughter of Benito's, served in the European Parliament from 2014 to 2019 after holding a previous position in the Italian Parliament. 
Well, that is uh, an extremely interesting story. Um, what is happening then in with the Pandora Papers? Uh, leaked financial papers received by the Washington Post named the Pandora Papers reveal a secretive offshore system in order to hide billions of dollars from tax authorities, creditories, and criminal investigators. Fourteen current world leaders, including the leaders of Jordan, Czech Republic, and Ecuador, were linked to the Pandora Papers. Russian President Vladimir Putin was also linked to the papers, as a woman reportedly had a child with the president and gained a significant amount of wealth as a result. Yeah, and I mean, that's a, an interesting story and one we'll be talking about next week, I believe, as well. And finally, what's happening again, unfortunately, return back to Afghanistan. An explosion on October 8th at a mosque in Afghanistan kills 46 and injures 143 others. The explosion was a result as a su- of a suicide bombing claimed by ISIS-K in a statement made by the terrorist organization's media group, Amok. Friday's bombing comes after a series of other attacks in Afghanistan, including the bombing of a mosque in Kabul on October 4th and a suicide attack at Kabul's airport in August. Okay, so the problems in Afghanistan continue. Um, Kasha, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. And that is all we have time for today. Be sure to follow The Global Current on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for updates on upcoming shows. This show would not have been possible without our dedicated crew. Executive producer Jared Dang, associate producers Jasmine DeLeon and Joaquin Matsumas, and technical producer Chimdi Chukwukade. And, of course, your host, Eric Bunce. The Global Current is brought to you by the School of Diplomacy and International Relations at Seton Hall University. As always, keep it current with us and catch us on the waves every Sunday at 8.30 a.m. on 89.5 FM WSOU. Until next time, thank you.